0: Welcome to the Wired for Success podcast, your show for ambitious, mission-driven entrepreneurs who want to build million-dollar businesses without sacrificing their health, relationships or happiness, who understand that in order to build their empire, they need a solid foundation and that the more they are thriving, the more their business is thriving too. This show brings you the very best from science, self-development and entrepreneurship to set you up for sustainable success. Hi, I'm Claudia Garbert, the scientist turned mindset and high performance coach for entrepreneurs, and I help you get wired for success. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Wired for Success podcast, where we talk about all things science, self-development and entrepreneurship that help you get to that next level of success in your life and business. And today we are back with a brand new interview episode. My guest today is founder and publishing expert, Megan Stevenson. And as an expert in traditional publishing, Megan believes that everyone can get the book deal of their dreams if they are committed and choose to work hard. And over the past 15 years, she has guided authors through every stage of the publishing process from generating ideas and collaborating on a book proposal that's worth of a six-figure advance to answering urgent questions right before the manuscript is due. And in 2021, her authors collected over $1.7 million in advances from major publishers and since 2012, she has helped over 100 authors write book proposals and get deals with the big five publishing houses in New York. So if you've been thinking about maybe packaging your knowledge and becoming a best-selling author, I'm sure that today's episode will give you plenty of food for thought. So welcome, Meg, and thank you so much for taking the time to be
1: on my show today. Oh, thank you, Claudia. I'm really excited about it.
0: Me too. So let's start with a question that I always like to ask in the beginning. How did you become a publishing expert? What made you fall in love with this industry?
1: So the long story, um, and I abbreviated a little bit, is that I wanted to be a writer. And at the end of my undergrad, I was considering going for an MFA. And my advisor in the English department at my college told me I should not go for an MFA because I wasn't as good of a writer as I thought. And that I was a much better editor. Right. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and so at the time, I'm a much better writer now, but then I was not a very good writer and I was trying to write fiction and it was just a disaster. And so um, I ended up going to New York. I really loved New York. I went there on a trip with my college radio station actually and fell in love with it. And so one of the graduate programs for publishing is in New York at Pace University. I landed there and through just lucky happenstance, or some might say manifestation, I ended up in an internship at Simon & Schuster within like literally days of moving to New York City from Wisconsin. And yeah, that was sort of how it worked. And I was very good at it. It was naturally a good fit for me. So I was an editor at Simon & Schuster and Penguin for about eight years. And I sort of hit my ceiling there and started my own business 10 years ago.
0: That's just the way it goes, right?
1: Yeah, it just sort of (laughs) happened. I mean, it was really interesting because I think I was thinking about it today. Um, uh, There's a country song I like called Doing This by this guy, Luke Combs, where he talks about like, what would he be doing if he wasn't like a country megastar? And he was like, I'd still be singing in stupid bars. Like, and I was like, yeah, I'd still be working in It just might not be this version. I might be at a library or a teacher or something. But like, I definitely would still be working with books. (laughs)
0: Right. So speaking of books, do you remember your favorite childhood book? What was it and what memories do you
1: associate with that? So as a kid, I loved the novel. I want to, I have two different things. I love the novel Island of Blue Dolphins because it's just such a good book. And I loved it. I still have a copy of it. I, I, and I didn't keep, I don't keep very many books. I'm not that person with like 300 books. You can literally see all the books I own in this, <laughs> in this like Zoom video. Because um, I'm a library kid. So mm. to me, as I was growing up, books came in, you read them, and books went out. But I did keep Island of the Blue Dolphins from when I was a kid. I also got into nonfiction at an early age because around the age of 10 or 11, I got sort of obsessed with disasters. And so I became obsessed with the Titanic and the Holocaust. It's a very light thing. Okay. yeah, <laughs> Perfectly normal for a kid. <laughs> actors, you know, like mega, like multi-casually events. I was like really into it. And so I read a lot of nonfiction. And so that was sort of my journey into the nonfiction realm at a very early age. Like I was over in the adult section of our bookstore at like a 10 or 11, 12.
0: Okay, now you can give a shout out to your top three all-time favorite nonfiction books. <laughs> what are your nonfiction favorites? Oh,
1: geez. Um, I mean The Diary of Anne Frank. Like that woman was just such a great writer. It's such an amazing book. Um, even now, like I reread it every few years. I just love that book so much. Um I really like the work of Eric Larson. And so The Devil in the White City, I think is the one about the Chicago World's Fair. That's a fantastic nonfiction book. Um, and the number three is actually a relative recent book and it's a client's book, um, We Shall Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. I worked on the proposal for that book. Um, I just think from the beginning to the end, it's just a beautifully well-done commercial, successful nonfiction book. And it's a great example of what especially female entrepreneurs can write when they actually take the time to codify um, their ideas and messaging and get results for clients and then put that all in a book.
0: Sounds great. Let's do a little thought experiment. So if you were the aspiring author and I was the publishing expert, what book idea would you pitch? What story would you like to tell in your own book?
1: So I work on prescriptive nonfiction. So that's like, that eliminates a lot, right? Eliminates any kind of fiction, which by the way, in case you forgot, is anything made up? Mm -hmm. So many people don't know that. (laughs) It's sort of crazy. Uh, They miss that day in school. Uh, And I don't do memoir. So that takes a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. out. I think for me, um, if I was writing that book based on my own experience, I would want to dive into why so many entrepreneurs fail. Because I think it's a really interesting idea of why do you know ninety percent of female-owned businesses never make over six figures? Mm. Like I would be digging into that because I think it's a very compelling, interesting story. Mm,
0: I would like to write that book with you. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> now you work, as you said, with entrepreneurs and experts to help them get those book deals. So in your professional opinion, who should write a book and who should not write a book? In other words, what do you look for when you qualify a potential client?
1: Sure. So I think it's not necessarily who should write a book and who shouldn't, but it's who should write a book now and who should write a book later. All right. So who should write a book now? Um we like to joke that we have millionaires and billionaires here um, in terms of our clients that are working on proposals. I have to give Rachel credit because she came up with us, but like, I really think that Rachel Rogers that I, that you shouldn't write a book until you are in business for enough time that you have demonstrable replicable results and about $250,000 in revenue. There are exceptions to that rule, but I think in general, that six figure mark it's not about the money, it's not about the revenue and people can get their different ways, right? If you have a $400 membership, that's way different than if you charge, you know, 10,000, 20,000, $40,000 for a service. So the revenue is not the only indicator, but it is a leading in- indicator for me and my team that you are successful over the long-term. Mm-hmm. So like if you're having, you know, $100,000 a year, then a $250,000 a year, then a $500,000 a year, something is happening in that business then then we can project it. Because most of the time with books, it's gonna take two years from the day you meet me and start working on a proposal until that book is out. And publishers like everybody else like to buy low and sell high, right? And so that growth is really important. Um, The people that shouldn't write a book yet um, are people that don't have their content locked down. So if we're talking with, I exclusively work with online entrepreneurs and experts. I'm gonna assume that most of the people listening to this pod are online entrepreneurs. So what happens is if you don't have your funnels, the opportunity for a book is at top of funnel. And what I mean by that is it's in all the people on your email list, on your social media that may or may not convert to clients, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody has a way bigger or should have, and this is the problem, uh, they should have a way bigger top of funnel than they have a client list. Mm-hmm. But where people tend to come to me is the opposite, where they have a pretty robust client list, they get results they're successful, but they have nothing top of funnel or it's highly underutilized. And so we have to start flipping the script on that and helping to build their platform, which is where our platform builders membership comes in. So I would say about 80% of entrepreneurs who wanna write a book, it is too early for them. And then about 20% um, that come to us or that we seek out, where like their friends might work with us. And then they say, you really need to work with this person. And sometimes it takes me two years to get on that entrepreneur's calendar, right? Because they're running a billion, like a, a multi seven figure business, right? They don't have to, they have to like carve out a decent amount of time to work on this project. So like, that's where we sort of wanna be. I think that answers your question, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. if you have a heavy top of funnel and you have proven results in the system, you tend to be in that low six or mid six or even seven figure range. That is the time to write a book, right? That is the time to leverage your thought leadership before that, it tends to be too early. Again, always exceptions to the rule, but before that, it tends to be too early because the top of the funnel is not big. If you think about 5% of your audience, it's going to buy your book because mm-hmm. that's what we found in our research over the last couple of years of working with entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs will be like, literally, will go through that math out of a call and they'll blanch out. They'll, they'll, they'll just be like, oh, F, right? Yeah because they didn't realize that. They thought every single person in their audience would buy a book. Also, publishers want to sell 10,000 copies. Mm -hmm. So if you do math on that, you can see how most entrepreneurs don't have the audience big enough to sustain a traditionally published book.
0: So do you think the audience, the size of the audience is more important than the revenue? Or is it equally important? Or what do you reckon?
1: The revenue is the easiest indicator, along with some proprietary information, like the size of your email list, what publishers are going to do is they're going to Google a B, right? They're going to do the cold. I do that too. When an application comes in, I cold Google somebody because that's the public information that the publisher is going to look at. People tend to not lie about our email list, even though we totally could. Right. <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm not asking, I never asked to see someone's like MailChimp or ConvertKit or Entreport, right? <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm just trusting that they're right. But usually you don't have like a 50,000 member email list. And you know, a thousand people on social, there's usually, it usually comes in lockstep together and yes. And so what we're looking at um, on the public side and what I look at it, because publishers are gonna look at it, agents and publishers are gonna look at it. So I'm looking at it, uh, Instagram followers, LinkedIn followers, not as much because publishers don't use LinkedIn. They don't really understand the power of that platform. Um, And it tends to be Instagram, LinkedIn, Um, obviously our website, if it looks like a hot mess, I'm going to guess that the rest of it's a hot mess and, or if it looks like it's from, you know, there's exceptions again, but if it looks like it's from 2010, there's a reason for that. And then also, um, any pod, if you have a podcast, I'm going to look at the number of reviews and not necessarily the quality. A lot of podcasts have five-star reviews, but only five reviews that tells me that there's not that many people listening to the pod.
0: Right. So it's, it's less about the content of the book and it's more about how established the person is.
1: Yes and no. <laughs> so we can have, it's, it kind of has to work together. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it sounds like a lot because it is a lot. It is this like magic. So it. the first thing we look at is the idea, because if the idea sucks, we can't do anything. Right.
0: Exactly. That's what I thought, but it sounds like <laughs> the idea is almost secondary. <laughs> Is that-
1: yeah. Most of the time, I think it's secondary, not because it's not as important because it doesn't fail as often. Mm-hmm. So where people tend to fail short uh, or fall short, it's not a failure, really. It's a, it's where people tend to not make the kind of standard I'm looking for is in the platform of the audience. Mm-hmm. It's not in the idea. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people like there can be failure in the idea. I see it a lot with coaches because coaches use a lot of the same ideas. So they use a lot of like limiting beliefs and thought work and, you know, mind body integration. And that's all well and good. And we can still sell a book on that. It just can't be packaged that way. So they have got to have a lot of intellectual property around it. Um, Same thing with like personal finance, right? We're all talking, uh, every personal finance author I've ever worked with is talking about saving and spending. But they don't call it saving and spending.
0: (laughs) So it's really about creating your own personal framework that you can market and package. And at the same time, building that audience
1: so that you can sell your book to that audience. Right, exactly. So it's a lot of what makes entrepreneurs successful, if you think about it. It's like you're leveraging your uniqueness. Mm
0: -hmm. You're
1: doing a ton of marketing and content creation. So you know what your audience wants and resonates with. You have a bunch of IP. And then from there, you know, if you have like using Rachel as an example, because she's just the easiest thing that comes to mind. When we worked together, she had a mastermind that mm-hmm. was 25K. Her model has significantly changed since then, but she had a, a mastermind that was 25K. And then smaller, like incubator type things that were like, you know, 6K or 5K or 4K. And so it's like, well, there were a ton of people in her market, which tends to be, you know, female entrepreneurs that are struggling, especially women of color entrepreneurs, they couldn't afford that 4K. They certainly couldn't afford that 25K. So selling them a $25 book is really obvious and easy, right? Yeah. Um, and then she had a huge top of funnel, uh, you know, the girl, girlfriend can sell anything. Mm. And that's why her book was the bestseller.
0: Right. Okay. So it's really about building that solid foundation first before you think about writing a book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Because the big problem with that too, and I I talk a lot about this, is that when someone decides to write a book, they usually stop showing up. They go in the hidey Mm -hmm. hole as like a writer, they put on their special writer hat, they become insufferable (laughs) for six months, you know, and, and they just write. And it's like, that's fine. But like, you're you're disappearing and platform growth audience growth marketing Mm. is a lot like investing the sooner you get in the market the more benefit you're gonna have so i think that's really like that's a mistake people make and it's Mm. it's not about you know it's really funny with our platform builders program people come to me and be like but i really want to write i was like great (laughs) write some emails (laughs) (laughs) write some content posts you know like you can like i got into entrepreneurship like early. Like I've been running my business for 10 years, but I didn't start my funnel until 2020. And I, when I started doing all the funnel work in 2019, I was like, I don't understand how people do this without being writers. Like I'm a content (laughs) strategist. I'm a content strategist. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. So like ideas and content creation, is not my problem. It's actually a strength for me. But I was like, if that wasn't your strength, I had no idea how people do it. Mm.
0: There's a lot of copywriting and everything with the social posts and so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the public um, image of the writer is just, you know, you find a little batch somewhere in the woods. You go there for a couple of months and you just write and you write your book and it's going to be amazing. And then it just sells like hotcakes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the most load of crap that you can ever hear in the oh, world like know. Like, I know well it's not just like that can work I actually have a friend that literally does a retreat for mm-hmm. non-fiction um non-narrative non-fiction writers like literally in the woods in California yeah. um like she literally hosts that and I'm just like I love her I think she's great but we are so different I've hated like the capital W writer guy, you know, the guy that like smokes clove cigarettes and walks around with David Foster Wallace all college. I've hated that guy my whole life. (laughs) I don't like literary fiction. Like it's not like, it's so funny. I'm like not that kind of book person. Um, And I think when we think about, I think for me, I'm really uh, like a more business person that happens to love books and sees books as a way to, you know, uh, as a, a, a tool or a lever in your business. And so I think that's more of where I'm at. Um, but the other problem with that like Thoreauish idea of writing a book is that now, you know, you need to sell the book as the author. The book publisher really acts as a guide and as a distributor and as a business partner, but they're not doing a ton of promotion or marketing on your behalf. They can't. They just do too, way too much volume in terms of what they publish.
0: Right. Okay, so now that we know who should write a book and when they should write a book or not write a book, let's talk about how they can write that book. So how can aspiring authors get those six-figure book deals we mentioned earlier?
1: Hire me. No. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Okay, so again, this advice is only for how-to prescriptive nonfiction. So if you're writing something else, like a novel or a memoir, there's different rules to that. However, in prescriptive nonfiction, so how-to books, right, books on parenting, personal growth, business, um, entrepreneurship, uh, personal finance, I'm trying to think of the parenting, uh, money, uh, all these different things, thought work, relationships, sex, um, gender identity, I'm just whipping through everything we've done in the last year, diet. Um, So all of that, we're going to sell that on proposal. And I encourage people not to write their own proposals or buy any of those books about writing proposals because you should only have to do it once, right? Because once you're a successful author, once you get that first book deal and your agent and all these other things, um, you, you won't have to do it again. They will literally ask you if your first book's successful, they will literally ask you to write a second book with like a one-liner an email or a text, <laughs> it would be the easiest thing that it's just like, it's sort of mind blowing, right? And if you do have to write a proposal, you've been there already, you can do it again, right? You have a template to work with. So I really encourage people to hire professionals. There are some, some things you DIY, right? And some things you don't. Um, to me, publishing is like plumbing. You don't DIY that <laughs> painting. Sure, you can DIY painting. But, you know, <laughs> reinstalling your bathroom vanity. Nah, you're gonna call a guy for that, right? Sure. Or a woman. So like, I think that's really important. So. That's what I encourage people to do It's just for most of the entrepreneurs that are ready to write a book proposal, it is below their pay grade to try to figure this shit out. Now, a lot of our clients feel really strongly that they want to write their own books. And I think that's wonderful. And so we can have them write the editorial content in a proposal. That's really easy. And it actually gives them a good idea of whether they actually want to write their book and whether they're actually capable of it, because a lot of times they're not, they're too busy, they're distracted. Um, again, below their pay grade, or it's just something that they just, you know, they're not professional book writers in the invite team are. So that's something that's important. It also, for us, it's a business ask, right? So it's not coming out of their own personal funds. It's coming out of their business and there's a big ROI on it. Our Mm -hmm. fees are, you know, top of the market. We charge $35,000 currently for a proposal. This is February, 2022, in case (laughs) I change that. (laughs) But our clients get, our first-time authors last year got $175,000, right? Mm -hmm. And even if they hire us to write the book with them, they're still making, you know, a 50%, 100% return on that fee. So it's just a a smart business decision. Um, You know, if you don't, you know, run your own ads, if you don't run your own entreport, if you, like all these other things you outsource, this is another thing you can outsource, Right. You don't pay your own taxes. Like don't write your own book proposal either. Like we can do a great job of it. Um, We can do a better job of it and we can get you more money.
0: Gotcha. So just just hire a professional.
1: <laughs> yes, please. And hire us because we're the best. Yeah. I, literally, I had an agent uh, yesterday. Um, An agent text me and be like, you are like, he's like, I." there's nobody like you. Like that. And I'm not, that's not from me. I can send you the <laughs> screenshot. Like literally like, because I know, I used to receive pros proposals and, and be an editor who acquired them. I know all these agents that work in this space. I know what's sort of happening in that world. I can pick the brain of the editor. I can pick the brain of the agent. Um, and I know the client and I know the market really well. So it's just that, that whole dovetail together. It's right. just what makes our services so valuable to our clients. It
0: sounds great. So Imagine I was your potential client. Can you walk me through the process? What would that look like?
1: Sure. So the, we have two different offers in our business. and We're about to have a third. We're about to launch a live workshop that's virtual. We did one in person last year, but not everybody feels comfortable coming mm-hmm. in person. Certainly coming from Europe where you are might be a little mm-hmm. tricky. So um, we're going to do one virtually. So that's a great entry point to learn about publishing, to understand where you fit in. And a lot of times platform growth takes years. And so that can be a really helpful jumpstart to people. Oh, I understand my email list has to get higher. Well, I wanted to do that anyway for my business. Great. Mm -hmm. Workshop will satisfy that. The next level up is platform builders, which is a membership. It's high end, high touch. Um, We do one-on-one solutions for every single person on that program. It just allows me i'm the one coaching i'm not having somebody else coach everybody in there um it just has allows me the time um to run the Slack channel answer everybody's questions we have 20 spots in a exclusive member mentorship in the membership mentorship in the membership um mentorship where um you and i would talk every quarter and figure out what goals are specific to you and your business that will not only you know move your book dreams forward bring that Reality closer, but also you know help your business too because they run in lockstep together. Mm-hmm. If we're looking for a big top of funnel opportunity, then we need to probably do some business development as well, and sometimes personal. But all of it, most of the time, authors are getting in their own way, and just like entrepreneurs, yeah. right? So sometimes we need to, you know, the leadership coach needs to needs to demonstrate some leadership, right? <laughs> or you know, the the time management person needs to manage her time. You know, there's some obvious like coaching opportunities there. Um, so that's an option as well. If, if you're falling short on the audience piece, and let's pretend you're one of those 20% that comes to us with a proposal. We only do 10 to 15 a year. I would walk you through the stages that we do, which is that we develop the editorial first, because, you know, even though platform is so important, the idea is too. so we want to make sure your idea, I think it's marketable. If we don't work with anybody that I don't think we can't sell that's why our rate is so high. Um, we had a hundred percent success rate of landing our clients with agents last year. Yay. Thank you. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. awesome. Um, so I want to make sure it's, it has potential, right? Is it you know, unique in the market? Does it work for your business? Can I see how we'd sell it? Do I know an agent? Usually a good marker for me was, do I know someone who would be an ideal reader for it? Right? If I can picture in my head, Oh, this person needs that or, Oh, my husband who works in middle management at a tech company, this is the kind of thing that they're doing all the time in their professional development. Whatever that is, um, I wanna make sure that's, that's the first hurdle internally for us. So if we want that uh, editorial content and then we do the rest of the, what I call businessy stuff, which is your competitive and comparative titles, which is basically an idea of the market for the literary agent and the editors. Um, Your about the author section, which is basically Mm a bio on speed. Um, Your marketing section, which displays everything you bring to the table in terms of the business partnership and how you're gonna promote and sell the book, how many copies we expect to sell. Everybody you know um, that will promote for you, um, any press you've had, any podcasts you've done for someone like you, like that has a podcast, well, how many people listen? What are your top episodes? Um, Podcasting can be a huge platform builder. Because as you know, doing interviews with folks um, expands your network fast um, and impressively. And so not only do you have this awesome podcast where people listen, but you also have probably hundreds of people that you've met that might promote the book as Mm -hmm. like a favor for in return for you being so generous with the podcast. Great. Awesome. Um, And then we do an overview. I write all the overviews myself because my writing has a level of swag to it a level of confidence and swagger and like here i am take me <laughs> or leave me you're gonna miss on this party if you don't get on this train level <laughs> of, of like i don't i don't even know it's not even bragdocio it's like i don't it's just like this this like mic drop every single time <laughs> and my clients love it and the agents love it and the publishers are clearly impressed by it and so it just, it just works. And so we put that all together. Then of course, at every stage of the game, you would know what's going on. We have weekly meetings with our clients. Sometimes um, sometimes we skip those meetings. Uh, I put everyone in a six month deliverable for proposals with a 12 month container. So what that means is we're gonna try to get your book, your book proposal done in six months or less. People have done it in quick as four months or three months. Um, on average, people take about eight months and the reason we put people in those containers is because they're often multi-million dollar entrepreneurs. Sometimes even it'll take us three weeks just to get on their schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of our clients took six weeks off to launch last year. Another client went on a month-long vacation. You know, it just sort of happens. I take vacation, you know, our team takes vacation. Sure. Um, we close for two weeks at Christmas. Shit just goes down. And so um, we explain that to you, Talk you through that process. Um, what else can, you know, what's going on every time, um, when we're done with the proposal, you know, obviously you look at it, we make changes. We want you to be happy and thrilled with it. It should in theory be like, I picked your brain, like an alien and put it on a page magically. It should feel like that. (laughs) Um, and often it, often it does. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we have to be like, oh, we missed the mark or we'll read it. This is not happening right now with my client. We read it and we were like hmm actually this isn't the idea this is two books in here let's not try to do that let's separate these two and then see if we can't sell this first book and mentioned the agent mm-hmm. like back channelly, um that there's a second book probably that's like half done cool um so we do that i put together a list of agents for my clients um i know agents really really well as we start getting bigger and bigger deals we got our first multi-million dollar deal um this year so yeah Yeah. that's thank you (laughs) yeah so like that gets announced in a newsletter within the publishing industry and so people know so like if you're an agent and i sent you this proposal and you said no for whatever justifiable reason or unjustifiable reasons sometimes um and then you see that it went for a lot of money You're going to be like, oh, I messed up. (laughs) (laughs) up. Can you send me the next one? And that's the reputation we're getting with agents. So they they want to hear from us. They are asking us all the time, asking me all the time, what's next? What's coming up? What's interesting? Send me this, send me that. So we usually have a ready audience for that. They'll read it. You'll have a meeting as the author with the agents. And it's a love match, just like it would be for hiring me and my team you want to feel really good about that person. They're going to represent you. They're going to negotiate on your behalf. They're going to be the shepherd of your author career. So it's really important that my clients feel good about that relationship and like strong with it. Like I always say, you want to feel like that person can look at your bank accounts and that you can have a drink with them. That's a really good measure. Right. Um, And that's worked really well for my clients. So then The agent makes an offer um there's an agency agreement they have to sign that we're not really privy to um and then although we'll help our clients review it because i've seen so many now i know they're what's standard and what's not um and then uh if the agent wants any changes which usually they don't uh we'll handle that as well and then the agent that process where we submit to agents is very similar to how agents submit to publishers um that that's what happens. We usually find out after the fact what sort of happened um, in the last year. Most of my uh, proposals have gone to what's called an auction, which is kind of like a bidding war for properties. Um, in terms of like people get in on it, they want to buy it, they want to, they're interested in it, and then sometimes it runs the advance up heavily. Like with my multi-million dollar client, that we all thought it would go for a lot of money, we didn't think it would go for that much money, um, <laughs> but it did. Because everybody was bidding on it. Everybody was interested in it. Everybody wanted it. And so when that happens, just like in any other kind of auction, it, the price will go up. Yeah. Um, so that's what happens there. And then if the author wants our help with the book, we're happy to do that as well. We don't leave our clients hanging. That's one of our values is uh, service. So we want to make sure that our clients are never left hanging. Even if a client has a question, you know, three years down the road, we just had a client be like, hey, what do you think it's a diet book? She's like, publisher is wondering what's the difference between my method and Noom, a weight loss app. And I said, well, here's a big, I wrote her a big thing. Here's the difference. Um, and so that's the sort of thing that we'll do for our clients every day because we want to support them. Um, and we want, their, we want them to feel confident sending you know, their friends and colleagues to us too, because as you know, entrepreneurship is such a small world
0: yes it definitely is and that sounds great and it sounds super
1: complicated too i had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thing it's a whole thing and that's of people don't understand right they think oh i'm just gonna throw together a book proposal and it'll be great and then they're like everybody will tell them no um and they're like what's happening and it's like well i've only read one oh actually that's a lie i have not read a proposal written by an author that was good where i was like oh yeah you could take this to someone <laughs> So I best. haven't, I've even seen stuff from agents where I was like, I can do better than this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I mean,
0: over the last years, we've heard from more and more aspiring authors who have ditched traditional publishing and went <laughs> down the self-publishing route. So what are your thoughts on that? What are the pros and cons for each option?
1: Yeah. So I'm like, I don't mind self-publishing. I'm not a hater of self-publishing. I'm a hater of self-publishing without understanding what is on the other side. So it's really, really easy to hide hole like we described earlier, write your book in the woods and then throw it up on Amazon. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is that if that book doesn't sell, if you don't go out and promote the hell out of it and sell at least 5,000 copies, your career with the traditional publishers is over. It's done. And we meet a lot of self-published authors that don't understand that uh, because it used to be true that you could self-publish and no one would really know. Like you could cover your tracks. That's not really the case anymore. You used to be able to take stuff off Amazon and it would just disappear. That doesn't happen, especially when people go out and buy ISBNs and other unnecessary things. Uh, ISBN is an international standard book number. So it's sort of like a Mm -hmm. um, product number for a book. So that all like is a problem. I don't mind self-publishing for niche audiences. I did a series of books for a brand called Choose Fi that's in the financially independent retire early community. Um, I got really into fire for a while. Like I was just in their community and helping them self-publish their books um, with a few different brands in that sort of world. And that's fine because they were small books. They were never gonna get picked up by a publisher and they, were, they all sold well because they went and sold and marketed them. They understood that you were launching a product basically mm-hmm. when you self-publish a book. And that you needed to promote and sell it, right? So many authors don't do that. Um, I think another thing that goes around the self-publishing circles that I have to dispel a lot is that traditional publishers want to steal your ideas and take your money. No, <laughs> just no. Um, they don't want to steal your ideas. Uh, and that's that sort of how it works. A book uh deal is a license, mm-hmm. it is a license in perpetuity, which is why. You know, you you might see like right now John Steinbeck's works are coming up for the public to us because copyright law expires after something crazy like 60 or 70 years. But for most of us entrepreneurs who are at least in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 60, 70 years is we're not gonna care what, what's happening to our book when we're hundred years old. So it's okay, like it's fine. It's a license. Um, you there are ways out of the license, and that's like really inside baseball, but really detailed and we probably don't need to go into it here. Um, But what people don't realize about self-publishing when they're telling you, like, you'll make all this money, you'll keep all your profits. um, That's all very true. But what I say is that, you know, 100% of zero profits is zero dollars. So it's just a question of where the money comes from. So on self-publishing, you put up, or hybrid too, you put up the money um, and then you get all the profit back. In traditional publishing, they put up the money. Mm. So Penguin Random House, an editor at Penguin Random House told me that they invest $130,000 in the production um, and support of the publication of a book. So that's everything from printing the book to editing the book to keeping the lights on it, Penguin Random in New York, all of that, it's $130,000. Then the authors, you know, get paid $100,000, my authors at least. So for Penguin Random House, often they're $300 in the hole invested into your book. Um, So they're going to try their best to make that book work, right? They're going to try to sell 10,000 copies of a $30 book Mm -hmm. to make their money back and maybe make some profit. Now in exchange for them paying you all that money and investing all that, they're going to take 85% of that $30 after, you you know, after you earn out all that money they've invested, but you're going to get 15% of that. And for the entrepreneurs I work with, the money's not in the book Mm -hmm. at all. The money is in everything that results of the book, you know, Mm -hmm. um, bringing up my client, Rachel Rogers again, she's just the best example recently of this is like when her book came out, not only did she sell, like, I think she's probably up to 50,000 copies now. So she's well beyond the advance she got, but she, you know, leveraged those book sales into sales of a new course she has that she's Mm -hmm. launching this week and into her membership. Right. And so that book, yes, it makes her money, but like really the money's in the membership. It's yeah. in the other offers that go up. And that's what a lot of people fail to remember is that it's it's not necessarily like publishers aren't out to get you, number one. They, they don't care that much, right? They're just trying to make money like everybody else. Like everybody else in these streets, they're just trying to make a successful business. But like, and also if they were doing that, they wouldn't have survived for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But also that, you know, it's the only difference really structurally in terms of the book is where the money's coming from.
0: Gotcha. Well, something that I've noticed is that when you read through a lot of those short bios on social media, for instance, it feels like everyone can become an Amazon bestseller these days. And it almost seems like it has become this vanity title that kind of has lost its former glory. So what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, I cringe inside. <laughs> One of my oh, Someone I work with, I'm a client of hers. She's a coach. She calls herself a bestselling author. I've done the research on her book. She is not a best-selling author, <laughs> bless her heart. But that is that is a straight up fiction in terms of my definition of a best-selling author, okay? So Amazon, you can game the system as you probably could tell, right? Yeah. Um, best-selling author is tricky. So best-selling author to me, and this is the way a lot of publishers define it, is you have to hit mul- multiple objective lists. So the most common are USA Today, Wall Street Journal. There are some regional papers, you know, um, like the Dallas Morning News or the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the San Jose Mercury News, I believe, or the San Francisco Chronicle that have bestseller lists too. Mm -hmm. But really what the big ones are, the USA Today and Wall Street Journal. Those are bestseller lists. Those are also just by sheer numbers alone. Like they count their bestsellers as how many copies of this book sold versus the New York Times, which is a curated list, the New York Times picks and chooses what ends up on their bestseller list. So that's the difference between those two things.
0: Okay, good to know. (laughs) Yeah, so last but not least, where can our listeners find you online if they want to connect or work with you?
1: Of course. So you can find me at my website, meganstevenson.com. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N.com. I'm also on Instagram at at Meg Stevenson's M E G S T E B S O N. And of course, Claudia, I'm going to be sharing one of my favorite opt-ins for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. The three steps entrepreneurs need to know about getting, writing a book, writing or publishing a book, I forget title, but anyway, there's three steps that entrepreneurs need to know. It's a lot of what we talked about here, but I think it's really helpful, um, for my entrepreneurs. And um, so if you want to check that out, that would be great. Um, and yeah, that would be awesome that would just come in and tell me you found me through Claudia yeah, that's good yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I will make sure to include all those links in the show notes so that people can easily find you so thank you so much Meg for all those tips and insights I can almost feel all those new books come to life with your help it's gonna be amazing
1: <laughs> oh thank you so much yeah I, I'm really passionate about educating people about publishing because I see a lot of authors and entrepreneurial authors in particular making mistakes because There's not the right information out there. So Mm -hmm. just sort of be aware of all the, like, what's funny is like, you know, people will come to me and say, but I saw this about self-publishing and traditional publishing. And I'll say, where did you find that though? And most often it's on a self-publishing website.
0: Yeah. So
1: just be aware of where you're getting information from. I mean, I'm as biased as everybody else, right? I'm I'm pro-traditional. It, but it's not the right for it's not the right solution for everybody so uh get yourself educated you know come to sites like mine subscribe to my email list um we give lots of free education there and just make it an informed decision for yourself and your business
0: sounds great thank you again take care thank you talk to you soon bye bye thank you so much for listening to the wired for success podcast i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you did, please take a sec to rate and review my show or share it with a friend. That way you can support the show and help me reach and support other entrepreneurs like yourself as well. If you would like my help to figure out how you can go from overwhelmed and overworked hustler to empowered and confident leader, check out my website at www dot wired for success dot solutions and book a free 20-minute strategy session with me. Can't wait to help you get wired for success. Until next time, take care. Bye.